uh, ask for your attention as we hear from God's Word and hear a lesson prepared from God's Word. And I wanted to bring to you this morning the idea about the life-changing gospel. You know, there's things in the, in the world and in our, throughout our lives that are life-changing. When we get married, when we have children, all those things that change our lives when someone close to us passes away. These are life-changing events. But I would submit to you that there's no more important uh, life-changing event in our life as when we render obedience to the gospel. We've been talking um, recently, and this is kind of the, the idea and the inspiration behind this, this lesson this morning about, about baptism, about how we can go down in the waters of baptism and we come up out of the waters uh, on the other side as a new creature to walk in newness of life, as Paul tells us, and, and how wonderful that is. And it's not, uh, you know, a symbolic gesture that we go through. Rather, it is, uh, it is the cleansing of our bodies, the washing away of sins. And as Peter mentioned, it's not a removal of, of, of the dirt from the flesh, but it's, it's the idea of appealing to God for a good conscience. Lord, I, I realize that I need to, to repent of my sins, and, and I need to render obedience to you and, and, and be baptized for the remission of my sins. That's what it's about. But it is a life-changing event, and, and when we're on the other side of it, we are a new creature, we have a new life, and I want to bring a few things this morning to, to remind us of that and to help us to transition if we're still a babe in Christ or haven't yet put on Christ in baptism, transition us from that, that worldly life into the life of a Christian. So that's what I wanted to bring to you this morning. So first let's talk about this, how the gospel lets us leave behind uh, our old life. That is, that is really the key in this, isn't it? That, that the gospel message and our renderance of obedience, we get to leave behind that old life. It's a, it's a chance to start over. It's a time and an opportunity to start over. And that life that we're leaving behind is, is a worldly and, and a carnal life, a fleshly life. In Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 3, here Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That tells us about the state we were in before, before we rendered obedience. But that life there, a worldly carnal life, that's a life that we get to, to leave behind. But that's a life that's engaged in and, and, and focusing on the things of the world, the things of the flesh. And also that life is a life that's, that's separated from God. Um, a couple chapters over in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, beginning verse 17, Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. And that's what I hope you'll see 
out of this point, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You know, if you think about a life separated from God, that is a terrible state to be in. That is a terrible life to live. Some people are okay with it because they, they become callous to it. But if they were to truly think about what they're giving up and the life that they're leading that is absent of God, and it's so futile. It says in the futility of their mind, you know, they might make it up for themselves that, well, you know, this is a good life and I have everything I want of this world. And, but Paul says it's futile. They're just indeed doing that and making it up in their own mind. But that's a life separated from God, and that's a life that we get to leave behind. It's also a life spent uh, engaged in foolish things. In Titus 3 and verse 3, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. You know, a life of a, of a worldly person, it's foolish. It's spent in foolish pursuits. It's um, one that is disobedient, not only to God, but to people around. Um, you're enslaved to the life that you live. We, we talked this morning in, in our Bible class in Romans 6, how Paul makes that argument about being slaves to sin. You know, we might, not, we, we might think we're free in the world to do what we want, but Paul makes the point, you're enslaved. You just happen to be a slave of sin. That's a life that, that is engaged in these foolish things and these foolish pursuits that don't add up to anything, that are meaningless and empty in this world. Rather, the life of a, of a Christian is full. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, it's a life that has meaning. In First um, Peter 4, verse 3, Peter expresses it this way, For the time already passed is sufficient for you, to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, uh, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. I love the way he phrases that. And some actually even um, render this a little better, some translations. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the flesh. You've done that long enough. That, the time that you've done that, that's, that's sufficient. That ought to be enough. Now move on. Now move on into a life of a Christian. Leave this behind. All the things that are of the world, leave that behind. That, you, you've spent enough time wasting your time. Move on. So the gospel lets us leave our old life behind. And in so doing, um, it gives us a new life. And part of that new life is that we get to have a new family. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus expresses it so well. And we'll make some points about this and understanding it all the better, hopefully. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 35. Actually, back up to verse 34. It says, uh, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now listen to how he, he describes it in this particular way. 
says, For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Um, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not uh, take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. You know, Jesus' teaching is so antithetical to what the Jews would believe. The Jews, for them, family is so precious and so very important. Their bloodline is so very, very important to them. And Jesus is making the point here that um, that family, your earthly family, and he's not saying here that he uses the terms here, setting one against each other, and he says there, who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Um, the idea here, of course, is not that, um, that we forget our, and, and, and stop loving our mother and father or our, our children. That's not the point. The point is, Jesus is saying, is that I have to come first. You have to love me more than anybody else in the world. More than any other relationship, you have to come and, and love me and be in that relationship. That's the relationship that should mean the most to you. And uh, as I said, this is so uh, different from what the Jews would have believed. And so this is one of the things that Jesus came along to help us to understand. And he says there, um, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, in verse 38. He expects us to follow after him and to leave the world behind. He says, he who has found his life shall lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. If we live a life uh, dedicated to Christ, then that will be a life that is all the things that those lives of the world are not. It's a meaningful life. It's an obedient service uh, kind of life. That's the important relationship that God wants us to be in. Um, as we're adopted into this new family, it says just exactly that in Romans 8, verse 15 through 17. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, Paul spends a good part of the, of the Roman letter talking about this idea of, of being adopted, being grafted in. He uses another illustration about that. How that, that we aren't, it's not the bloodline that's important. It's rendering obedience to God, and that is what makes you a child of God. And that then is the family that's most important. It's that family that is most important. Our brothers and our sisters. Look over in uh, Mark chapter 3. If you're there in Matthew, turn over several pages to Mark chapter 3. This is the idea about family and about the new family that we have. Mark 3, beginning verse 31, And his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him. Now this is Jesus' 
mother, Mary, and his brothers, his earthly brothers, and they called him, verse 32, and a multitude was sitting around him, and they said, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And those are the ones who are our are, are new family. Those who we uh, have, um, who, who we share in the kingdom with, that's, those are our brothers and sisters, the, the fellow Christians. Now again, doesn't mean that we um, do not honor our parents and um, children, we don't disobey our parents. That's still there. Paul tells us that. Um, we, we still come under that. But the idea, again, is that our spiritual family is now the most important family that we have. Jesus says, these sitting around me, my disciples here, these are my brothers and my mother and my sister. That's that new family that we are to have. And it's a wonderful uh, family that we do have. And as families do, we take care of each other. You know, there's lots of things that we can look at. I wanted to look at this example here. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 4. You know, I use this example in seeing how uh, this is the gospel message is, is, is just beginning to go out. The church has been established. These are the very uh, newest, the very first Christians that we're talking about here. And look at how they treated one another. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were in common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds to their, uh, of their sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed each as any had need. You know, they, they loved them, their, their, brother, their brethren so much that they were willing to give everything that they had so that no one would be in need. So the family, God's uh, children here, we take care of each other. And so we can expect that of our brethren. If we have need, we can expect that our brethren will step up and, and help us in that need. And if we have the ability and our brother is in need, then we have the responsibility and the duty to them to step up and to help them in the need that they have. And not only monetarily, as this is, is more pointing out, but spiritually as well. Encouragement, admonishment when it's needed. Whatever our brethren needs, that's what we need to be willing to give them and treat them as, as we know how we treat our brothers and our sisters and our mother and our father. That's the relationship that we are familiar with, and that needs to be applied to our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've left behind the old world, that old body of sin that Paul talks about there in Romans 6. We've uh, put on the new, uh, the new self. We've uh, gained a family. We've been adopted uh, by God into the family. And that's the family that's in most important to us. And now let's talk about what do we do from there. 
The gospel makes us useful in the kingdom. So we don't just rest on our laurels. We don't just um, celebrate within the family. There's work to be done. There's things to do. And the gospel, it makes us useful in the kingdom. We are to become useful instruments for the Lord. Um, in 2 Timothy 2, beginning of verse 20, it says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. He's talking about the, you know, all the different kinds of people in the world, all the, the different uh, individuals that we are. But look at verse 21, he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And we, we may have all sorts of different backgrounds. You know, we might come from wealth. We might come from dirt poor. And all in between. And we might come from whatever spiritual or whatever, whatever it might be in the world. But, but Paul is telling us, that therefore, if we cleanse ourselves, if we come and render obedience to God and, and seek to serve him, we will be useful to the master, prepared for every good work. We talked in our class this morning in, this morning in Romans 6 about you know, presenting our bodies in service to God and the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. This is along those lines too, prepared for every good work. Instead of chasing after futile things in the world, now we have purpose. Now we have things that can be done in the kingdom. Now we have work to do that is worthy of our efforts. Yeah, we got to work and take care of ourselves monetarily, and, and that's, that's certainly part of our life in this world, but our spiritual service comes first. We are useful despite our previous lives. Now go with me over to Philemon. Uh, Philemon is that little book right before the book of Hebrews. Wonderful letter here. I, I've preached on this and taught from the book of Philemon. It's, it's such a, um, a wonderful example of, of interpersonal relationships and, and how that then uh, comes about. So there's this one. Um, Paul is, is writing to Philemon, and in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. Now, as you read this, you'll hear about Onesimus. He was a slave to Philemon, but he had escaped, and he had uh, come in contact with Paul, and he had been um, converted, and now he was useful to Paul in the work that he was doing. And Paul is writing who, back to Philemon, who he knew previously, and pleading with him to accept Onesimus back as a brother. So listen as we read verse 12. And I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that in your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything that your goodness should not be, uh, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. Verse 15, For perhaps he was for this reason parted from you for a while, that you should have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, 
especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Paul is, is, is pleading with Philemon to accept Onesimus back. Yes, I know he was a slave and enslaved to you, and he left. Welcome him back now. He's a brother. His past is, uh, there may be some things on his account. Verse 18 says, if he have wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Though, yeah, he's not dismissing what he might owe him, but Paul's saying, put that on my account, but accept him back as a brother. So we're useful in the kingdom despite what our past is. That's the point Paul was making over there. The other passages that we read, different vessels um, in, in, in the household, we become useful to God if we render obedience and let ourselves be useful to him. Isaiah, as we mentioned again, uh, who, who shall we send? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah was ready to go when that call came to who is going to speak for God, who is going to go to the people and speak. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. That ought to be our attitude. It doesn't matter about our past. We can still be useful in the Lord's kingdom. So we do become that useful part of the body. Uh, look over in uh, Ephesians 4. You can tell this has been on my mind because all the references about our, our Bible class this morning and then the, what Paul is making there in Romans, the point he's making there, and it fits in with the idea about uh, being useful in the Lord's service. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse... Um, uh, I actually want to back up a little bit. Look in verse 11. It says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's the idea there. Paul says in verse 11, Lots of different roles to take on. There's evangelists, there's prophets. That would have been applicable to the time there when those who still had the gift of prophecy. Pastors, that's synonymous with elders. Um, teachers. And all these are for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. All, all of those individuals have a role, but it's all to build up the body. All to serve the church. In verse 14 it says... As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by the wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking of the truth in love, we are all to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Each individual part, what every joint supplies, every individual has something to add to the kingdom. In particular, Paul here talking about the church, the, the church as it functions as a body. Everybody has a part to play. Every part is important, but it all serves the whole, the whole of the body. So we have... Um, opportunity to become a useful part of the Lord's body. 
Let's not shirk that opportunity. Let's not put off that opportunity. Use the talents that you have to become uh, a functioning and a well-functioning part of the, of the Lord's body. And that makes us useful in the kingdom. So, let's ask ourselves some questions here. Has your life been changed by the gospel? Many of us in this room have, have accepted Jesus Christ as the, as, the, as the Son of God, have recognized him as the Son of God and rendered obedience in, in baptism. But did it really change your life? Did it really set you on a new path? Or have you just continued to dabble in the world? Maybe you're still hanging on to something here, thinking you'll get rid of it somewhere down the road. The gospel is meant to be life-changing. Have you left behind that old life of sin? It's a carnal, a carnal foolish life. And it's a life that's separated from God. And rendering obedience to the gospel gives us a chance to, to do away with that life, to do away with that foolish life that we have been living, that life that's apart from God. Have you separated yourself from the people in, the, in your life who stand between you and God? We all have people in our lives, friends and family and, and acquaintances and lots of people in our sphere fine. So be it. There's opportunity. That's how the gospel continues to be spread. Don't, uh, don't, misun don't mishear me about what I'm about to say, because there's opportunity with those relationships to teach and preach and, and to tell people about the gospel. So, but if those people are standing between you and God, then that's a problem. Because it's very likely that that uh, if they're hostile to the Word of God, if they're hostile to, to Christians in general, it's very likely that you're not going to pull them up, they're going to pull you down. We have the idea about standing up on the table. You know, uh, it's easier to pull someone down off the table than to pull them up from the ground. Be careful about the people that are around you. Again, there's opportunity there to, to teach and preach. Uh, so don't miss those opportunities, but if they're standing between you and God, just like what Jesus said, you know, you got to love, I come to set mother against daughter, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and father against son. The relationship has to be broken if it stands between you and God. And that applies in our own lives, too. With this family that we have, you know, a, a family lives under the same roof. Do you come and assemble with the family when you have the family get-togethers? We come here to worship. Are you assembling with the saints? Do you take the opportunity not only to assemble for worship, but we have Bible study twice a week on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. There's opportunity to come together, to be with the family, to, um, to learn more about God's Word, to encourage one another. We still sing and pray together and, and do those things um, that's perfectly fine for us to do. So we have those opportunities, and that's a good time for us to come together as a family and be under the same roof and to encourage one another. Are you taking care of the needs of your family? 
You know, it's, it's up to mother and father to provide for the household. And it's up, for, it's up to children to obey mother and father, for them to go along with the rules of the house. And that's how a family sustains itself and passes on along the, the traditions that we have of serving God, how we live our life, that's how that gets passed along. That's the family that, we're, that we know and understand at home. That kind of relationship needs to be brought into this family too. The older women are to teach the younger women. The older men are to be expected to be ascending towards uh, eldership. And they're in the, the position to teach the younger men. And so that same kind of relationship needs to be in the Lord's body as well. Where the older men, the older women are teaching the younger men and the younger women. Teaching them about serving God. And are you being useful in the kingdom? At whatever stage you're at in all of that. You're still useful in the kingdom. Whatever it is you might can take on as your uh, work in the kingdom, take it on. Because God wants those useful vessels. He wants us to, uh, to serve him and to put our talents to use. And if we're not doing that, we're not living up to our potential. We're not utilizing our talents. Are we a vessel of honor? Are we that honorable vessel that's a part of a functioning body that's helping the church to grow, that's helping the church in its day-to-day -day activities, that's helping the family as we continue on in traditions, handing that down to the next generation. That's what the family is for, to instill that in the younger ones so that they in turn will instill that in the generations to come. The gospel is life-changing. I hope this lesson has, has demonstrated that to you all the more. That that opportunity to, to, to render obedience to God and to be obedient to the gospel, that's a life-changing event. It, it brings us out of the world. It puts us in a new family. And it, has dem it demonstrates to us that we can be useful, that God has a purpose for each one of us. He has something in mind for us. Let God's word tell you what that is. He wants us to be those honorable vessels, those, those working members of a well-functioning body. That's what he wants of us.